Professor Bryn Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash the vulnerable scientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Hi. Welcome to the Vulnerable Scientist Podcast. This is your host, Sarah Kerry. On this part two of this episode, Bernice tells us more on how she transitioned from plant breeding to a career in bioinformatics and also how she moved, navigated her way from an undergraduate degree into a master's degree. And also she gives her time to explain more about what CIMIT and CALRO does. Enjoy. How long did it take you after you finished your bachelor's to mm-hmm. to get to your, or as in to get to your master's? How long did it take you to start my master's? Yeah. Okay. Um. How long did it take me to start? I would say it took me about uh two years, two or two and a half years. To okay. actually start my master's, yeah. But I was registered. Okay, so I registered at the University of Eldoret, but then I I did my coursework, and then I deferred a bit for like uh, two years. And then at that time, in the middle of it, they changed systems. You know, Matiangi uh, Matiangi came up uh, in the education system, so they changed some things quite a bit. They said you can only do your master's in exactly two years, you know. So they had to mm-hmm. give us fresh admission numbers. And then, so it ended up that I did my master's from 2014 to 2018. So that's what um, officially um, is, is is what I have in my, in my certificate. Um, <clears throat> because they had to, to change a little bit. So all the same after you finished your bachelor's, you were doing volunteer mm-hmm. positions? I was. I was. So for the whole one year after I started, I was doing volunteering work. And I have to say I'm very, very grateful to, for my parents because they supported me. I was literally for the first, I think, six or eight months, I was not getting any form of remuneration. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Um, and my parents were really very supportive of me. They they supported me in terms of transport, you know, and I was still living at home. So that was mm-hmm. quite okay. And they they gave me transport to go there um, every day. And so about, I think after about eight months is when I was being given, I think, um, 40 or $50 a month actually. Mm. So that's like 4,000 or 5,000 shillings a month. Um, and that, that I think was for almost one, one year or two years before I actually got the master's studentship. Okay. So it this, was, yeah, it mm. was, it was okay. It was good because I was learning and it was exciting. So 
So for mm. me, it didn't it didn't weigh me down, but yeah, for I I would understand how for most people that would not be the best situation. Yeah, yeah. So for the two months mm. that you are home, what is that thing that made you think, oh, let me go look for a volunteership in the same place that I was? Ah, uh, what made me think? Um, one, I hate being idle. I sincerely mm. hate being idle. <laughs> so, um, staying at home for two months, and I mean, I was thinking, okay. I'm here, I'm at home. Um, I'm enjoying being at home. Yes, I've just finished my my my, my undergrad. Uh, and of course, the first month I, I, I did a lot of watching of movies and reading novels. I'm a fan of reading. I read a lot. Um, but at some point, I, I asked myself, then what next? What do I do after here? Um, a lot of people at the time were doing computer courses, you know, Usually you're doing computer, you're doing CPAK, you're doing accounting, and I hate accounts. I hate mathematics. I don't hate mathematics per se, but I hate accounting. <laughs> so there was no way I was going to do CPAK. I couldn't know. Um, and I already done computers. I already loved computers at the time. So I already, I, I mean, I, I did know about it. So I was not going to do another introductory course into computing. So I'm like, okay, I have six. I mean, I, I finished in... I finished my coursework in May, or was it, yeah, in May? Mm -hmm. No, in April. Yeah, in April. And I was going to graduate in December. So I'm like, okay, until December, or at least until I get my certificate, then let me just go and continue learning what I was learning during my undergraduate. And I went there, by the way, I didn't think she'd give me the the opportunity to volunteer. I just went. I told my mom, uh, let me go and see if Dr. Laura would be willing to work with me, even if it's just for free. So I get somewhere to be going every day and learning some experience. So I went and um, she she said, it's okay, it's cool. And you know what? Actually, I forgot to mention. So for, for those two months, there was a friend of my mom who, had, uh, who was a, um, a technician at a community dispensary here. Mm-hmm. And because I'd done biomedical sciences and technology, we did quite a bit of anatomy and, you know, all the blood, how to do blood work, how to do the lab tests for all those human diseases. She's like, you can also go and volunteer there, just go and do. So I did like two weeks, I did like two weeks in a dispensary. And, oh my God, mm-hmm. I'm glad she, Dr. Laura was able to take me up for the volunteership. Oh my, I, I applaud the people who work in the medical industry. It is not easy. Mm. I tried to draw blood once. Oh my God, I couldn't. Um, yeah, that was not going to work for me. Um, so yeah, and <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I went and talked to Dr. Laura. Unfortunately enough, she was able to give me a position to volunteer. So yeah, that was good. Okay. And and after that, she continued. Mm. So I think after the six months were up, is when she said, "Yeah, you may continue to work for us, and we'll see if we'll be able to give you something small." So at least. I had the motivation to continue for the eight months before they started giving me the 4000 a month. Yeah. Why are you looking for the opportunities? Mm. Um, I have to say no. Mm. I was really enjoying myself working there at the time. And all the people, I, okay, at least the, the, the classmates that I knew and we kept in touch with were all, mm. most of them were working as medical sales reps. You know, mm-hmm. we, we did a lot of us did for, for most of us who did biochemistry and did biomedical sciences, 
they went naturally. I, I don't know if it's, it was natural at the time that they went into doing medical sales res, sales rep jobs. Mm-hmm. And no, Aki, that was Aki, that was not for me. During one of the long holidays, I had done a stint mm-hmm. for Manji doing sales. And I had also done a stint for Safaricom doing sales. And there was no way I was doing sales again. Uh-uh. So no, I, I was not like it. For no. Okay. It's not something I, at least not at the time, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, so you've met these people. They've told you about these studentships and uh, you want to start your master's. Mm-hmm. Take, up, take, take us from there. Yeah, so... um. Um, so yeah, so I want, I wanted to do my master's and I honestly didn't want to go back to Egerton. I don't know why, but I didn't want to go back to Egerton University. This is a question a lot of people have always asked me. I mean, naturally you did a, you did your undergraduate there and you want to do your MSc, you're right in Joro and you want to go to Eldoret. I'm like, yes, I want to go to Eldoret because it's a different experience. Mm. I've always loved being in new places. They kind of. Right. I, I, I enjoy being lost for a bit. I love the challenge. Mm. Um, so, and I wanted to experience a different place, I think. So I went to the University of Eldoret and they had a course in, in uh, plant breeding and biotechnology. I mean, it was literally exactly what I was doing in Calvonjoro. Mm-hmm. So it, it fit quite well. Um, I had also applied to JQuart, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. I had also inquired about applying to JQuart, and I think I also did an application to JQuart, but it's just so happened that I got the the acceptance letter for for University of Eldoret before I got the JQuart one. Or I can't I can't exactly remember what JQuart told me. Mm. Yeah, so I went to the University of Eldoret, and I didn't want to go to 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 the University of Nairobi because I've always not I've not always wanted to be in such a busy place like Nairobi. I grew up a bit in Nairobi. My dad worked in Nairobi a bit and I really didn't enjoy it. So I didn't want to go to the University of Nairobi. But JQuart was fun because it at least was outside of town, you know. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those were my two options at the time. So I think I got I got accepted into the University of Eldoret first and naturally that's where I went. Um, yeah, so that's how I ended up doing my master's in plant breeding and biotechnology there. And... Um, and as as I suppose as I was doing my master's, um, doing the research work, and my research work involved doing a QTL analysis, so trying to find areas in the genome of wheat that were responsible for the rust resistance to stem rust that was being observed in the field. So that involved using, um, so putting together phenotype data, so evaluating some wheat populations for stem rust and how they reacted to it. So those ones that were resistant to it or those that were susceptible and then genotyping these populations or these uh, wheat lines with uh, molecular markers and I used SNP markers and then putting that together. So the data analysis um, part at the time was quite challenging for me because I didn't have the environment or I didn't have many people who are exposed to doing um, QTL analysis or uh, genomic association analysis at a time, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's something I, I taught myself a lot. I, I, that's the first time I started learning R. I started learning um, programs or softwares like WinQTL Cartographer for doing QTL mapping, another tool from CIMIT that's called um, ICIM mapping. And 
I was like, oh my God, this is, this is so challenging. I'm having to learn all those things by myself. What do I do? You know, I, I, that's how I actually got interested in, in data analysis and bioinformatics. And from there, I, I, I started to look for opportunities to learn bioinformatics. So that's actually when I started, I, I started looking for opportunities at Becker. Oh. Looking for this because, um, yes, so in Becker, at the time, you remember, they used to have like three or four annual annual uh, workshops. You know, the molecular biology mm. workshop, the advanced molecular biology, and they also had a few on molecular on bioinformatics. So that's how I actually started learning about bioinformatics. Mm. I attended, I think I attended like two of them. I attended two of them. So I was lucky enough to attend one by... Um, a professor called Professor Cristobal Wawi from the Johnine Center. So he had come to Njoro once, to, to Njoro because he works on wheat. We had a team that was working with him and he had come to meet with them and we networked with him quite a bit. And so when, when they had the opportunity to, to sort of uh, do a workshop in, in Becker, I naturally applied and I, I thank God that I was accepted for it. So that's actually the first time I, I went to Becker for, for, for like a workshop. And I met the bioinformatician there, Joyce Njuguna, at the time. And mm. we were so alike. She went, she went to undergraduate. She did, um, she did bio, biochemistry, I think. And then after she did biochemistry, she did a master's as well in biotechnology and got interested in data analysis and did a bit of a certificate in computer science. And that's how she ended up doing bioinformatics and we really we we sort of really um uh how do i say understood each other and we kept in touch and that's how i also got to learn about the opportunities in bioinformatics so i went back in 20 that was in 2017 so in 2017 i went back for a two-week data management and advanced and bioinformatics workshop mm. and that's that's i i got to learn so much about unix learning, um, working with um, Linux and tools that actually work in the Linux platform. And after that, she told me that there might be a fellowship that might be coming up for bioinformatics and I should look, keep a lookout on it. Mm-hmm. And um, we kept in touch. And once, um, once the opportunity to apply came about, I, I applied. And once I applied, um, I, I got accepted, and that's how I did my bioinformatics fellowship at Becker Ildry for for one for eight months residential. Although it was a it was in full, it was a two year fellowship, mm-hmm. and um, so I did the eight months residential at Becker Ildry in 2018, and then um, in 2019, is it? Yeah, in 2019, the beginning of 2019, we went back for two weeks for soft skills, for a soft skills mm-hmm. workshop as, as the fellows of the, the bioinformatics COP. And when we were there, I met, um, I met Trusha. Trusha Shah is a bioinformatician um, at the IITA um, office that's situated at the Ildry campus. And he, he came to celebrate um, our, the one-year birthday for the bioinformatics COP and while he was teaching us during the bioinformatics COP, he taught us about RNA-seq analysis. And when he came, he mentioned that he was looking for somebody to work with him. 
um, as, a, as a research associate or a bioinformatics consultant. And so when we went back in 2019, I asked mm-hmm. him, are you still looking for somebody to work um, as a bioinformatics consultant with you? And he's like, yes, I am. I'm still applying. And that was, this was literally over a coffee. We were having coffee at mm. the 10 o'clock tea break. And he's like, yeah, I am. Um, are you interested? I'm like, yes, very much interested. Um, I, would, I would want to, to get that experience, you know. It would be my first time working with a bioinformatics experience. I've always worked in plant breeding and molecular biology. Mm. So, yes, I would still be interested. So he told me, yeah, come to my office tomorrow at 10.30. Um, send me your CV. Send me your experience, what you've done, and a cover letter. And then come to my office tomorrow at 10.30 and we can discuss. And I went and we discussed, and that's literally how I started working as a bioinformatician for IITA. So that was my first experience working as a bioinformatician. Wait, um, so 2014, that's where you started your master's, right? Mm -hmm. That's when I started my master's. So all this time, what were you doing apart from being a student and for the fellowships that you were getting at Becker Mm -hmm. Hildry? Um, to be honest, that is, that's actually all I was doing. So I mm. went, I did my, my, my two terms of uh, coursework in Eldoret. Mm. And as I was doing my coursework in Eldoret, um, I got offered the studentship at, at Cal Ronjoro, yeah, mm. to work on, um, in the wheat breeding platform, um, as an, as a, as a research intern. So and as a research intern, um, I was very fortunate to work under Dr. Peter Njau, who was the wheat breeder at the time in Kalronjoro. And he offered, mm-hmm. I think we were four, four or five of us were, in, were offered research internship positions. So um, they gave us, of course, they gave us a good stipend at the time. So I was able to support mm-hmm. myself even when I was in Eldoret doing my master's. And at the same time, I got the opportunity to do my, my master's um, work with them. So they funded, they literally funded um, my whole master's uh, fellowship, my research work, and they're also giving us a stipend. So I was able to support myself. Um, I didn't need to depend on my parents anymore. So I went, I went to, you know, I went to, to um, Eldoret. I was able to support myself. And I, I was still working as a research intern at Njoro. I was still working as a research intern in Njoro. You know, so this whole time, even as I was doing my work, I was still working as a research intern. So every year we were responsible for doing the phenotyping for the thousands and thousands of wheat breeding lines that were sent to Njoro from all over the world. The USDA ARS labs sent their material there. CSIRO from Osteria sent their material there. You know, breeding labs in Germany, in Mexico, they sent their material to Njoro for phenotyping. So we were responsible for that. Laying what is phenotyping? So working... So phenotyping is, um, yeah, that's a good question. Phenotyping is um, evaluating. So studying how crops, okay? So in my case, it is crops respond mm. to different, um, so different stimulus, okay? So for, for us, it was how do the different um, wheat plants or wheat populations that you are planting the field, how do they respond to being infected with stem rust? So stem rust is a fungal disease that affects wheat. Um, and, and phenotyping per se is 
the process of evaluating how the the wheat plants respond. So are they able to withstand infection with stem rust or do they succumb? Do they become susceptible and they're not able to grow and, and actually produce any wheat grain? So that's mm-hmm. phenotyping is a- assessing how, you know, um, the, the crop responds to being infected with uh, stem rust disease. Okay. So we were responsible for that whole phenotyping. Uh, so um, for someone who, because, okay, the reason I'm asking this question is because last, um, I don't know, what, last week uh, we passed through mm-hmm. Kefi. So we're doing the Kefri trek and we passed through Kefi. Mm-hmm. And someone would, some people would be like, they were passing through Kefis, they were Google station and they're like, okay, what does this station mm-hmm. do? What do they do? And I was so excited to talk about it. So I'd like you to, and I, I just thought maybe there are people who like, like someone, if someone drops uh, something where at near yeah, where I stay, and they see the ill thing, they're like, "Okay, so what do these yeah. guys do?" What so I'd like to for you to uh, to answer those questions in regards to cultural mm-hmm. and summit for now. Okay. <laughs> so what uh, from your what understanding? Does, okay, what, what does Calro do? General and what do, does Simit do? General. Yeah. All right. Um. Let's start with home. So Calro is currently, as I said, it's called Kenya Agricultural Livestock and Research Organization, Calro. It's the National Research Institute for Kenya. Okay, so it's involved in anything agriculture. So a bit of background. So before it was Calro, I mentioned that it was Kari. So Kari was mainly Kenya Agricultural Research Institute, and it dealt with crops and did it deal with? Yes, it also dealt with livestock. So it was mainly just crops mm. and livestock only. Okay. But then in 2013, um, through a parliamentary enactment, they combined so many of the research institutes that were there into one mm. big institute. Mm. So in essence, it combined all the research institutes that were involved in doing research that was agricultural based. Okay, so working or researching on, on, on crops, food crops and cash crops and livestock. So it combined them. So it combined curry, it combined sugar tea, I mean the Sugar Research Institute, I think that was what it was called. So the sugarcane, sugarcane institute, it combined um it combined coffee, uh the coffee research institute, it combined um fisheries. There's also the fish, a fisheries um, wing, I think. So it combined all of that into Calro. Mm-hmm. So Calro is an umbrella for all those institutes in Kenya that work on cash crops, on livestock, on food crops, on you know, like uh, all those that are involved in in the agricultural sector in Kenya. Okay. So you'd you'd have we have many centers in Kenya. Calro, I think it has. Um, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I worked with Calro. I think yeah. it has about forty-seven centers, mm. and they and Calro is sort of is sort of um, it's organized such that there's a food crops institute, there's a livestock institute. So under Calro, we, we still have a few um, institutes that each deal with you know like something major. So. Where, where I was working in is in the food crops 
research institute that work on crops. So crops like wheat, like sweet potato, like cassava, like banana, like maize, um, millet, um, millet and, and sorghum. So we have how it's organized is that different institutes will work on a crop that is within the area where they're situated that is mm. that is you know like the major crop in that area. So Rift Valley is where we do a lot of the wheat. What do you mean work on? So like their mandate crop, like a mandate crop. Okay. So for example, where I work um, or where I worked, Kalronjoro, um, is in the center of Rift Valley, and Rift Valley is where we where wheat is grown in mm. Kenya. The highlands and the lowlands of uh, Rift Valley is where a lot of the wheat that is produced in Kenya is grown. Mm. So that is in terms of so that is Mount Narok, Narok, Timau, Molo, you know, Njoro, or Jororok. So all of those are major wheat growing regions in Kenya, and their center is in Joro. Mm-hmm. So that's why Joro is mandated to work on wheat. So for example, uh, I'm asking, what do you mean work on? What do you mean by work on something? Like someone probably wouldn't understand what you mean. Ah, okay. So, so that is uh, work on. So that is the. What do they do? Like, when I say Kalronjoro works on wheat, I mean Kalronjoro does their research on wheat. I mean the the crop that they concentrate on or put their efforts of research in is 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 wheat. Okay, so in terms of work, what work entails, let me break that down, is, is uh, working with farmers to understand which kind of wheat crops do well in a certain area. So the, the breeders, they're called plant breeders because they, they sort of breed wheat. So breeding is developing varieties. So we call them varieties in terms of crops, varieties or cultivars that are able to produce good um, good uh, yields. So in terms of wheat, the yield would be grain. And the grain is what is used to produce the flour that we use for bread and for chapatis and mandazis. So what the plant breeders and the research um, uh, technicians and the pathologists at Njoro do, they work together to be able to to develop varieties of wheat that do very well and produce very high yields in different areas where we grow wheat in Kenya. So okay. which kind of variety does well in Narok or in Timau or in Joro or in, you know, mm. that's what working in a research institution like Calron Joro would involve. Okay. So if you hear them say they work on wheat, like their mandate crop is wheat, mm. they are working uh, to do that, and they also work very closely with farmers because, at the end of the day, farmers are there; they are the ones who will consume their product. Like their product mm. is wheat varieties, and the farmers are the ones who are actually going to adopt the varieties and plant them. So mm. they work very well together. They invite farmers when when they have when they are developing varieties. They invite farmers to come and tell them this is something that we'll be able to work on, or maybe this is something that you need to improve, or these mm-hmm. are the challenges that we are facing. Like you know, like when we had a, a good example is when we had the MLN disease of maize. Mm. You remember when there was an outbreak of maize lethal necrotic disease, there was a, a very poor, I mean, there was a very big pandemic on, on, on maize some years back in Kenya. Mm-hmm. 
So the, when that is a problem, then it is the it is the work of the research institute that works on maize. So in Kenya, Kalro, Kiboko, um, Kalro, Katumani, those they, they are institutes that work on maize. Mm. So their job is then to go and develop varieties that would be able to withstand mm. this disease, right? Mm. So that's that's what research institutes that work on crop would do. So even okay. the one that is in Molo, for example, mm. works on mm. potatoes because Molo is known in Kenya for producing potatoes. potatoes. Mm. Yes, so then that's what they would do. Okay. What about cement? Yes. Well, yeah. So cement, cement is is um, the international center for maize and wheat improvement. So one, it's international. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's an institute that has its headquarters in Mexico, um, and it it works mainly on maize and wheat, just like we've. I mean, its name suggests. Mm. maize and wheat improvement center and it works globally right so its headquarters are in are in cement i mean mexico for sure mm. but it works um it works to generate varieties for wheat and maize mm. and it works with institutions globally okay mm. so for example in the case of let's say kenya we have institutes like Calro that work mm-hmm. together with CIMIT because CIMIT um, has very, I would say, very high-end facilities. It has lots of land and its main work is working on wheat. And it works mm-hmm. on challenges that affect wheat on a global scale, not just a local scale, you know? Mm-hmm. So because it's international, so they work on a global scale. So for example, when the pandemic of the stem rust came out in 1999, Mm. The pathogen is called UG99. Some people may know it. It's called UG99 rust uh, pathogen. It was it was very very widespread when it came out or when it started affecting wheat. And it doesn't just affect wheat on a local or regional level, like in Kenya or just East Africa. It's mm. on a global scale, and it's a global pandemic in terms of wheat. You know, mm. it is able to reduce a crop of wheat that is susceptible, and in the right weather conditions, that crop will produce nothing, completely nothing. Mm. So you see, it becomes a global challenge because if the main, the major bread baskets of the world, you know, like India, like those ones that produce high amounts of or high volumes of wheat were mm. affected, mm. then it would affect the whole globe, you know, not just us. Yeah. So they work on challenges that affect the, the whole globe in terms of wheat and maize, right? Mm. So what they do is they they generate varieties that are resistant or that are tolerant and have tolerant to various diseases or resistant to various diseases of of wheat mm-hmm. okay and also have high yields and what they do they distribute it to wheat uh, research stations everywhere in the world so they work together with them they provide them with those varieties that they've worked on and what then the research institutes on the local level do, they then adapt them or they screen the variety. So, for example, we get 200 wheat varieties that have been developed from CIMIT. Mm-hmm. What Carl Ronjoro will do is he's going to take those 200 wheat lines and, and go and plant them in the wheat growing regions in Kenya. So I plant them in Timau, I plant them in 
in Narok, I plant them in Old Jororok, and I see which ones do well, which ones do well in each of those areas, which ones are able to withstand the challenges, if it's the diseases, if it's the climate, they're able to do well in those, in those areas. Then those mm. ones will then be adopted to be grown in that area. Okay, okay. and they will be released as varieties to be grown either in Joro, in Timau, depending on where they do well. So you see, they work on a global scale. And then there, they they work together with the local community, the local researchers or the local plant breeders to generate varieties that actually um, help the local communities. Mm. 